Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos, and you're listening to So Organized Style Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. So Organized Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognizes the continuing connection to lands, waters, and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors. The Australian Sewing Guild, who has been our Monday Daily Series regular, is now a sponsor of Sew Organised Style Podcast. Go to ozsew.org to check out the online workshops, sew-alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. Hi everyone, it's Maria Theharis Veloso's on Sew Organised Style and today we're speaking with a really special guest. She's worked at Simplicity Patterns and it's Deb. Thanks Deb, hi. Hi, so nice to see you and meet you and talk about my life at Simplicity. It was really a wonderful run for a long time. Your story Deb, what is it? I live in the United States in Hackensack, New Jersey and I grew up in New York City anyway, and I worked at Simplicity for 35 years. No, 39 years. So my story, like 41 years ago, just about, in April of 1979, I was a kid. I was 24 years old. I had been traveling around the United States with a boyfriend and a pickup truck and a German Shepherd dog. I always sewed from the time I was a kid. I worked in a fabric store and just always sewed. And I ended up coming back to New York And I was like, what am I going to do for a living? It was New York City. I was 24. I hadn't finished college. I had gone for a few years, but, and I knew how to sew. And within a month of my return with a resume that was hmm, truthful in many ways, but embroidered in some ways, there was an ad in the Sunday New York Times, because that's how you do look for jobs in 1979 for a sewing instruction writer at Simplicity Pattern Company. And I made a dress and didn't wear it and went in and purchased clothes instead because the dress was a fiasco, you know, when you're trying to sew under pressure, especially then. I mean, my skills then versus my skills in all those later years, totally different. And they hired the hippie. And at the time that I started working there, Simplicity was major producer of patterns. I don't know when I got there. I wasn't involved how many new designs we produced a year. Probably close to four or 500. They produced a new catalog every month, 12, and then a bonus one. So 13 catalogs a year of new patterns. And it was just Simplicity. It wasn't new look. It wasn't style. We weren't owned by some big conglomerates. It was just Simplicity. We were located in Midtown Manhattan, just a little east of the Garment District in a landmark building, 200 Madison, where they had been for many years. We had three and a half floors of people. We had like 10 pattern makers, 10 dressmakers, an entirely separate department to make photo garments for, you know, to represent on the envelope. But I ended up in what was called the Primer Department. And this is always a good part of my story. And I always say it with now tongue in cheek with a bunch of old ladies 
who were not old. So they were in their 40s and 50s, but they had worked there for a very long time. And I was 24. I was a baby. But taken under their wing, all of them mentored, taught, so many rules, so many, to me, even then, I mean, we didn't have computers. We typed our instructions on electric typewriters. Anything that you used for reference, you got from lines and lines of file cabinets that had old primers, because they were called primers. The guide sheet was called primers. You must know that. No, I had no idea that that's what it was called. It was called primer. It was called primer. If you get an old vintage simplicity pattern from the early days, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, up to late 70s, maybe early 80s, you'll see it. it. It'll open up and it'll say simplicity primer. I've learned something today. Yeah. Maybe you call it primer, <laughs> like, a, like a primer in a grade school, like what you learned. No, okay, never mind. So I was taught, retyped. The rules were amazing. You had to write an outline. You had to make a sample. We had a little sewing station in the back part of the department. It had a sewing machine and a little sleeve board as an ironing board. And you had to pass muster, especially as the new kid. You know, the supervisor had to go over your work. And the pattern, so this is way before technology. So your pattern was oak tag, cut by master pattern makers in the pattern department, which I didn't know that whole process until years later when I moved into more different positions. But it's an oak tag pattern. And the writer was ultimately the responsible person for all the markings and the order in which the pattern pieces were numbered because I don't know if anybody even pays attention to this anymore but and I don't know if still to this day they do it but your pattern pieces were numbered in order of your construction so if you're going to make your darts and your bodice front first your bodice front was piece number one you were going to stitch the back to the front your back was piece number two and do you remember that the notches were numbered? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we had to number the notches on all our oak tag pieces. Ultimately, these pattern pieces, this was the beginning of computerization. We did digitize, and then they were input into big master, big old computer system, and printed out the pattern and the press plate, the tissue sample that it was supposed to be on. But I didn't know all that then. I was doing my job. I was a new kid. So you had to number all the notches and put the letters on the pieces and circle the perforations. They were large, they were small, and the notches had to go in order. So one went to one, two went to two, so on and so forth. So, you know, your first learning thing in the beginning was mm -hmm. you'd get through lettering and numbering eight pattern pieces and realize you forgot number four. So these were oak tags. So you had to, we didn't even use whiteout. We used masking tape over the number. We had to number them in red magic marker. Oh my God, this is a long, big story. No, but it's really interesting. Keep going. So you had to write an outline. You had, a, you were finally, you marked up the pattern. You also, somehow your input followed through with pages and pages of the fabric suggestions and the notions and the size of the buttons and the ribbons. So that was a big document that traveled then with the design to the, it had to get graded first and then it had to get measured. Now the measuring department, 10 full-time people that were measurers and five or six checkers and a supervisor and an assistant supervisor 
And we were, in writing, we were eight writers. We had 10 illustrators. We had something that was called final checking. You would write your instructions, type them into a selectric typewriter in galley form, like in a newspaper, very narrow margins. And any standard information, it, you had to Xerox it and tape it down so it was in there. And then the illustrators drew in pencil first, tracing the pattern pieces. Then they inked those drawings. Then those drawings were photostatted along with your instructions that were typeset, photo typeset. We had a whole photo typesetting department. And those instructions were laid out on big cardboard mechanical boards for printing. So pencil checking was to prevent it going too far before it was a mistake. So somebody would check your typewritten copy and the illustrations. And also, since everybody was so experienced, and then, you know, there were new, we were, there were new, not, I wasn't just the only one, we were growing, and there was new people coming along and stuff, but we didn't really think the old way all the time. Like, you could have a novel idea on how to construct something, but far between it getting approved, you had to do it the simplicity way. And it took me years, actually, to understand the validity of that and the importance of having a consistent, I'm going to use the word language because that's how I always describe it, a consistent language for the brand. People learned how to sew with simplicity. Everybody will tell you their first patterns they learned how to use were simplicity patterns. And the company was founded on an education model. And James Shapiro, he wanted to teach people how to sew. He sold his patterns in the 30s and 40s for lower than any of the other brands. He wanted it to be in every household. So the language and the, the construction methods, even though, yes, ultimately, of course, we came up with new methods and were able to put them in. But for a long time, it was like, no, this is how you put in a sleeve. And those methods are still in use today, I hope. So you checked it beforehand, and then it was mounted on the boards, and then the shading, you know, the shading that shows your right side of your fabric and your wrong side of the fabric. So that was something that's called bende, which is sticky back little shading pieces. They had dots on them. So then somebody would have to shade those pattern pieces right on the mechanical board. Okay, when I started at Simplicity, the process from design to on sale not even design because there's research ahead of time. So from line plan to on sale was 13 months. 13 months, not even the same calendar year. 13 months. We had a lot of people. We had a huge printing plant. That's what it was. Yes. We were busy all the time. We were busy all the time. But we had a lot of staff too. We had a huge amount of staff. You had 10 pattern makers. And then you had pattern checkers, there was always pattern testing, and then there was photo sample dressmaking. So there was a whole department of pattern testing, and they made, tested every pattern, every garment, photo dressmaking, God, they made garment after garment, and they used fabrics that were divine, beautiful, you know, your best fabrics. The design team used to go to Europe every year, back in the day, back in the day, right? So it was huge. It was tremendous, but it was 13 months from start to finish. But remember, there's processes in between. So the designers, once they design it and it starts moving forward, now they're on to their next issue. 
same thing, writing department, we finish, it moves on to the next group. Now we're writing the next batch and the next batch. But it was 13 months. Yeah, so ultimately it changed. By the time I left, our lead time was five months. But if we had to, and we did a number of times, we could get things out in eight weeks, depending on what it was. Like we did when Frozen, the movie Frozen was like the biggest thing since sliced bread. We did a kid's pattern and a doll pattern. They had the license for Frozen at the time. We got the girl size four grouping out, which is like three to eight, on sale in seven weeks from design to shipping to the stores. But that means, you know, everybody stops with their, the people in working on that project. They stop what they're doing in their scheme of things. You know, all hands on deck. Yeah. You make sure it's moving forward. It's moving forward. You manage it every day. You're like, okay, where is it today? Who's working on this? You don't do that for a whole line, but you can if you have to. So I was a writer for four years till 1983 from 79. And then the people there just saw something in me. I was lucky every step of the way. I was blessed. And it was partially who I am. I mean, you know, it wasn't just they saw, they saw something in me. There was something in me. My first job out of writing in the primer department, I became the supervisor of the department where they create the cutting layouts, the measuring and layout department. And that was timing because we were starting to get more technology. And that was the first group where technology was going to make an impact. So up until that point, to get the cutting layouts onto the guide sheet, again, there were 10 people who were full-time measurers. They had huge tables that were all gridded off. They would get cut out pieces of all the different size patterns on blue paper. And they had, maybe they were oak, some of them were oak tag. I don't know. They had Polaroid cameras in the ceiling that photographed the cutting layouts. And then those were, it was camera, it was pictures. And somehow they became, they got onto the mechanical board. They must have been photostatted also. And then they were put on the mechanical board because they had to be reduced and they had to be shaded. And the yardages, you know, everything was done by hand. The yardages were calculated by hand. Maybe they had calculators by then. But in 1983, I was moved into the department. They sort of rearranged the department. I was made supervisor. The woman who had been in charge of the department, who was, quote, unquote, an older lady, had been there for, you know, 100 years. They moved her out to be a technical advisor. And it was trial by fire because, A, here I was. I was the new, the new boss now. My first day sitting in the boss's office in that department, they come in and they go, oh, how do you like your coffee? And I'm like, it's okay. No, 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 how do you like your coffee? And I was like, you know, again, they were all older women. Um, There were two gals in the department, actually, who were my contemporaries. They're still, one of them is still at Simplicity now. So you learned. And I made changes little by little in those processes to adapt to technology and did a lot of good in there and learned a lot, again, about the next process and learned more about pattern grading and put a lot of new things in place, if I think about it, that probably are still in place today. We changed the way we did the back of envelope. We changed processes. And then that lasted four years. I had wonderful women who were looking out for me. I really did. To this day, I had my mentor, God rest her soul, 
woman, Anne de Benedictis, who came to Simplicity in 1949 as a pencil checker and basically throughout the years established checking points and wrote and illustrated probably 50% of the construction standards that they that we used and was my dearest, dearest friend forever. She passed away two years ago and she retired in 1998 after 49 years with Simplicity. 49, she said she didn't want to get to 50. She said she woke up one day about six months before it was going to be 49 years and she was, I'm done. I'm going to retire. And she was 68, I believe. Yeah, she was 68, 98. Yeah, she was 68. She was also an artist and just a dear, dear soul. So she was one of my mentors. So four years, I was the head of that department, learning all the time and, um, you know, making my way, figuring out what I liked about being a boss, how I wanted to be a boss. And I was really not a bossy boss. I was more like, let's get this done together. Let's figure this out. And then I got moved into the design department, which really was a big, big step for me because A, I got to work on a different floor. So the design department was on the fancy third floor and I worked on the production floor, which was the fifth floor. So you got to move downstairs. And I was the design department coordinator, which my job at that point, because now we had technology more even for the patterns because the cutting layouts, we needed somebody earlier on to finalize all the markings and to set the envelope. So I sort of was in charge of setting up all the stuff that I knew all the people who were doing those jobs that I had done needed. So we pre-marked the pattern. I set that all up. I created the templates, I suppose, that were going to be the back of envelope, put all the, the fabrics in and, you know, what size ranges they were going to be produced in and started that process. And then I also learned about the design process because I got to be at the fittings with the designers, which taught me phenomenal things about a quarter of an inch and a dart placement and how to rotate a dart and, you know, what's important when the designer's looking at it and learned all that. And that was great. I was working very close with my friend Anne, the woman I was just talking about. We sort of were a team in charge of many things together. And then my friend Bonnie, who's still a designer at Simplicity Now, she came on board a few years into that job, not right away. So we're talking 87. We had a designer there at the time, the gentleman. He was very famous on 7th Avenue earlier in the time, Gail Kirkpatrick. This was 1987 in New York. And things were still a little bit like, you know, homosexuality was there, but, you know, it wasn't like you weren't just. And this man would come to work in his tight leather pants, and he had two different hair pieces, and he wore makeup, like face pancake makeup and a little bit stuff on his eyes. And I was like, I remember what, we were sitting in a design meeting where we overview each design and talk about the construction they want. And he was a ready-to-wear designer. He really wasn't for home sewing. But, you know, people come along, they give jobs, they work out, they don't work out. And I remember sitting next to him one day and I looked over and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, got it. He's wearing makeup. He's wearing more makeup than I am. Okay, very interesting. He was a dear man. He just, you know, he wasn't in the right job. He was there for maybe two years. But part of that design department coordinator job was I learned how the construction of each design was decided with my friend Anne. We were the technical gurus and the designer would draw a beautiful picture, you know, beautiful neck and sleeves and flowing. And you'd come to technical and, and you'd be like, okay, tell us. And she, well, it's this and this. Okay, so how long is it? 
Where's the waistline? What's the circumference? What kind of fabrics are you using? You need a seam because it's not going to fit on the fold of the fabric. You need a dart or, you know, I mean, the experienced designers new to design properly, but you know, you get new designers. How are you going to get in? Oh, you're going to pull it over your head. Well, the neckline's not going to be big enough to pull over your head. You know, these were all the components that went into walking through the, we called it construction meeting or technical meeting because the pattern maker had to be given direction on what he or she was, she mostly. We didn't have male pattern makers. Yeah, only women. What she was supposed to develop for the pattern. And I mean, our pattern makers at that point in the late 70s and early 80s, they'd all been there for many, many years. They were superb superb pattern makers. There was a woman, Anna Fucci. She'd probably been at Simplicity since the early 40s. Anna Fucci? No, Anna something or other. Anyway, it doesn't matter. She was amazing. But, you know, the designer would go to her and she'd be like, okay, I want it bigger. So she'd add like a quarter of an inch. And Bonnie would be like, no, 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 I want it bigger. And she'd go, no, 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 too much. And, she, and Bonnie was like, no, I want it. You had, you know, you had to twist her arm to add because in her mind, bigger was a quarter of an inch. You know, that's going to give you an inch on four seams. Yes. So I learned that process through osmosis. I mean, I never studied pattern making or any of that. I was going to be a nursery school teacher, but Simplicity was my education. I got my master's degree at Simplicity throughout all those years. Did in the early years, were you on the promotion or teaching circuit? That was later. That was later. That wasn't until, so we're talking 87, um, 91 was the next big thing. I started a quality control department, and that was sort of the launching of technology really being the mainstay, number one, and of me getting more exposure to the outside world, and I started going. I think my first show I went to was an American Sewing Guild conference in San Diego, and then I also went to a Comec Teachers Conference in Toronto, where I was doing a fit demo for sleeves in a classroom, and it ended up, it was at the end of the day, and these women had been sitting there since nine o'clock in the morning, and they were like, they didn't want to hear me anymore. But, you know, I developed that skill throughout those years too. But up until that point, no, I was in the house. We didn't do shows. There weren't all these shows at the time. It was only later on we got connected with the American Sewing Guild through Anne-Marie Soto, and then we started doing more and more things. But that was late into the 90s, I think, if I could remember. I mean, we went to Puyallup Expo for 15 years. So 2000 or 99, 2000 or 2001 was maybe the first year we went to that. And we went to American Sewing Guild every year. And we used to go to American Sew Expo in Novi, Michigan as well. But those early years, no, there weren't shows. We didn't go to shows. It was later into the late 90s and then through the 2000s. Or I traveled like three or four shows a year. I went and did TV interviews. I filmed something in Columbus, Ohio once. Aww. I lost my favorite belt in the hotel room. And you still remember that? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, quality control. Oh, I remember so much. I guess I have to write it all down. Somehow it's got to be written down. Now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, I should. And all the details of how the patterns were produced. That, I think, the sewing universe would be so interested in. Because, you know, they just get the tissue and or the PDF now or whatever. 
And, you know, they don't understand what it was, what the, the heritage was behind the home sewing industry. You know, yes, ladies way back when, you know, didn't use a pattern. But, you know, Butterick, McCall's, they started making patterns in the 1800s. So it's the foundation of the whole industry. So, yeah, we had a customer service department in New York, eight people answering phones. You know, there was no email way then. So it was first phones and letters, handwritten letters, mail every day. I've been sewing for 40 years. I couldn't get this pattern to work. Or, you know, yes, mail all the time. And we had, Simplicity was always part of the school. We had an education program from day one where the schools could buy patterns at a discount. So you'd get letters and all about that. But yeah, no, we always had a help desk. Customer service ultimately became an 800 number. And it was in New York. And then we moved it. We had our manufacturing printing plant in Niles, Michigan, which is near South Bend, Indiana. That was our factory from the 60s or earlier, maybe even the 50s, until around 2000, I guess. Now the stuff is still printed all in the United States, but we outsource at a printing plant in, in the Midwest in Wisconsin. But our printing machines, are, especially for the pattern tissue, and the guide sheets were all moved there, plus some staff as well. While there were so many quality checkpoints and proofing in the development process yep. at Simplicity, what type of queries and complaints would sewers have had in those early years? Well, well, it depends. Sometimes there's a mistake, obviously, you know, especially when things were super done by, by hand, um, you know, things could get through. I mean, Things are a mistake, or people just don't understand it, or they don't get the full instruction sheet. A multitude of things. Um, you know, I I I was in charge of that group too. Eventually, for many years too, when it was still in New York, and then when we moved it to Wisconsin to the plant, and you know, you'd get people who just wanted your help, especially when they got an eight hundred number. Then it became you know pen pals. I'm going to call today and talk to so and so forth. So hundreds of letters and people all the time had that group for a long time, along with my quality control group. And then in 2002, and I know that year exactly because it was the same year my sister passed away, I was promoted to director of design development and quality control. So I had pretty much all of the pre-production and the production up until translation and more things that didn't happen with the creative part. So my hands full were the pattern making department, the pattern testing group, and the photo group, which we merged. So we merged all the seamstresses to be one group because it didn't matter. You need something sewn. It's a test garment. You tell them that. It's a photo garment. You tell them that. And we were definitely more streamlined by then. We weren't producing as many patterns either. Certain point, it became eight catalogs a year, then seven. By the time I left in 2018, we were down to six. So every two months, you know, and it was seasonal then for sure. You had early spring and spring. Those were your big issues, and then your fall issue was a big issue. So you'd have early fall and fall, early spring and spring, and then summer and winter. 
and winter was always pajamas nine you know every design was pajamas mostly or gift things you know and design needs and design input you know things evolved and changed you know cosplay came and all those licenses with Disney and Marvel and DC Comics, those were the biggest ones in the the late 2000s. But even back in the day, we had a license with MC Hammer for Hammer Pants. We had, you know, Garfield, the Tiger. We had so many licensed categories in those days, like early 80s, late 80s, early 90s. People earned royalties by buying patterns and making them. Wow, so much to remember. It's a lot. So by the end, yeah, I was in charge of all of that. Pattern making, pattern testing, photo dressmaking, grading the patterns, not the measuring group. That was under somebody else. But then writing the instructions, illustrating the instructions, quality control of the instructions, and then the phone line, the consumer service, which was down to one person by then, answering emails and answering the phone. And that's an overview. I really leapfrogged those last 15 years. but And then I did the shows, which was, I loved it. If there was one blessing, that was my favorite thing, especially those years where we got to go to three and four shows. And when Puyallup, I always did fashion shows. I learned so much even doing that. You know, in the beginning, my boss at the time, Judy Raymond, I was like, well, who's going to, the very first time we put on a fashion show at, in the Novi show, I was like, well, who's going to moderate this? She goes, you are. And I was like, what? I'm not going to get up in front of all those people. And she goes, yeah, you are. So the first one was a learning experience, but you learned how to do it. You know, and I also, I taught karate. I am a black belt in karate and I taught karate for like 15 years. So those skills of teaching karate and moderating and getting up in front of an audience and being able to talk off the top of my head, you know, they grew hand in hand with my professional career as my karate career. But yeah, I loved doing those fashion shows and styling them and learning which, you know, how to get what models should wear what. You know, Puyallup was always my most favorite thing of the year. And you'd be in Seattle, we'd be away from home for like a week and a half almost by the time you're done. And it was my favorite thing. I was heartbroken, actually, when I wasn't permitted to go that last year at work. But I went anyway, because I just went on my own when I wasn't working anymore and hung out with Rylas all week. It was the best. Oh, God, it was a fun booth. When you first started working there, you described yourself as the hippie. Since you've worked there, what skill set did you end up having to develop within yourself? Well, first of all, I grew up there. I worked there from the time I was 24 years old until I was just about 64 years old. So skill set, life, yeah. you, you grow up, you learn. So not in terms of sewing or anything knowledge. I had to learn to be patient and take an overview all the time. And my martial arts training really was the best foundation to learn that. You know, even my husband will tell you, you're too quick to run into something. I'm like, I know, I have, and still to this day, it's a discipline. Yeah. You know, I'm a very quick study. I see things really quickly, but with that quickness, sometimes you miss something. And then your people skills on how to lead a group, how to develop their trust, how to develop the trust that you're, seeing your bosses, your, you know, the management is going to trust you and your reports, your people that report to you are going to trust you. And I think that it was one of the best things I learned because I know that I did develop deep, deep relationships with many of the people who reported to me. And we worked wonderfully as a team together for many, many years. And people trusted me because you know what? I did the work. 
I wasn't somebody who sat in her office and pointed and said, go do this and go do this. If something needed to be done for years, I mean, the first four years that we had the quality control department, I checked probably as many designs myself as the whole rest of the department checked collectively. I just was quick. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. I had been doing that kind of work for mm. a very long time. So then my other skill that I really had to learn was how to be a little bit more disciplinarian and how to not be such the nice guy and, you know, call people out on their mistakes and say, look, you, you, or, you know, you can't be late. Or, I mean, I had this woman who worked for me. She was totally like a germophobia. She's nowhere near coronavirus now, I'm sure. But she used to come in in the morning and clean the floor around her desk and wipe her entire day. Now, I, yeah, it makes sense now. But, you know, 35 years ago, it really did make a lot of sense. And she was so, it would take her four days to read through a guide sheet, check the pattern. In four days, you're supposed to finish four designs at least. I mean, we had a production schedule we had, and we were the end of the line. We had to get out to the factory. But I was, you know, it took me a long time to be able to comfortably say to her, you know, you either all are all good or bad. It's like everything's going and then you snap. No, you no. can't manage people that way either. I had to learn my mm. management skills and, and develop trust in myself and for my team to trust me and for the management to trust me. And we did for a many, 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 many years. You know, I look back on those years as the best the best. I worked with great people. I had great people who I reported to. We produced a product that I used. I mean, I a couple of summers, I remember two or three summers in a row. One summer, I had lost a lot of weight. So I was like 110 pounds or 105 pounds. And we produced this pattern, which was really just a princessine straight yeah. dress. And I never had worn straight dresses before because I always had a bit of a booty and just it wasn't my comfort factor. Well, that summer, I made 20 dresses based on that one pattern. All cotton prints. I'd get up in the morning. It didn't matter which one to put on. It was summer. Just put on platform sandals and carry a sweater, and you off you went. I played with stripes. I changed the neckline. I made sleeves. I did contrast fabrics. I Once in a while, I changed the skirt to be gathered into a waistline. I, oh, God, it was the best. I was probably... I was probably in my 40s by then, I think. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. But that one summer, it was great. It was also when we started the amazing fit collection for Simplicity. Part of it was from that very first amazing fit dress, which is a red dress, six, something 68. Could be 94. I'm going to look for it. And oh, I yes, please. Because I might have it in my stash. You might. You might, but then there was also a Project Runway dress because we licensed Project Runway. We had that as a license for a while. Oh, that was very much fun. That was super exciting. The first year we licensed Project Runway was the year that Christian Siriano was on. I watched that series, yeah. Yes, yeah. When we got to go, we saw all the garments before the finale. We saw the garments that had been made throughout the show episodes. We went, my boss and I, and... She was the senior VP and my friend Bonnie, the designer, and this woman, Tammy, who was in charge of merchandising. We went down to the offices somewhere and they had all these garment boxes filled with the clothes that the contestants had made, like the last eight of them or something like that. 
and we saw Christian Siriano's clothes. Plus, there was another young guy that same season who loved to work with bias bindings and stripes, and he had this jacket that was stunning. But for the most part, the insides of those clothes were like, you know, slapdash. Those, they didn't finish the inside. You know, they were lucky they had zippers in them, but we got to see all those clothes. So this dress was from our Project Runway collection. I'll see if I can find that too. Amazing fit from Project Runway. Yes, please. Uh, it feels yes, like Christmas. Please, but I just, <laughs> it feels like Christmas. Okay, I'm so thrilled. You know, pattern testing for indies. And then when I hear the level of testing yes. that you have been through with Simplicity, you must have developed processes that you would have had to have gone through to get high oh, quality. Yeah you know, the high quality patterns that you sell. Yes. Chalk and cheese. Right. Well, remember that the patterns, you know, all start from your base simplicity pattern, whether they were on oak tag on a table 40 years ago or where they're in a CAD system now, most of your pattern makers, you know, know to start from a good basic. And if you've got a good basic and then you're just transforming it into the design silhouette, but testing to me is the key. So our testing served multiple purposes, the pattern testing department. So number one, so the process would be the designer, we would have our technical meeting and Bonnie would have her dress and it's a scoop neckline and it's got princess seams and it has a center back zipper. She wants invisible. We're going to do facings and it's got a back vent and it's 25 inches below the knee. And we're going to give bust cup special pieces so she'll have BCD yeah. cup sizing. And that's your base dress, right? So that, and she's got a long sleeve and a sleeveless maybe. What are we going to do for the sleeveless? Are we going to give her flat arm hole facings? We're going to give yeah. her bias, self-bias or whatever. So we go through all that. So then the next process is that gets handed off to the pattern maker. She sees the sketch and she reads all our notes with our all our talk on them, you know. And she goes into the CAD system and pulls up Either we've given her a specific design for reference or she pulls up the basic block or something that she knows she made or she'll look in the catalog and she'll find something similar and she'll start working from that base pattern. She'll print it out and the pattern maker herself mm -hmm. will make a first muslin and it's out of muslin. It's not a complete fine-tuned beautiful garment. It may not even have facings. It'll have your neckline seam line stitched, maybe turned under with clips or the designer will just have to see your stitch line. You know, it's it's design fitting. Designer will come in and she'll be, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, could we move the princess seam out a little bit near the waist? Give it a little, whatever. It's too long. It's too short. Let's close the neckline. Let's, whatever. Let's lengthen the long sleeve, short, whatever. So then the pattern maker will go back and she'll finish her pattern. And she'll also add all of her construction pieces, her facings, the text on the pieces, her hem allowances, her notches, her markings. She'll print that out. And then testing will make that garment out of fabric similar to what you're going to make it out of home. So if Bonnie's suggesting if it's a knit pattern, it has to be knit. If Bonnie's doing in linen types or silky types, whatever. So we'll resource that. We have thousands of yards of fabric or hundreds of yards of fabric. And the tester also will make, say you have a dress pack that it's got a long and a short length. It's got a long and a short sleeve. So really you can make one garment, half and half. You mark the cutting line. So the tester's making one garment, but she's making that A to make sure the pattern pieces all fit together properly, that there's the appropriate amount of ease in your sleeve cap, that your facings fit your neckline, that your notches all match, 
that the zipper marking notch at the center back seam is the correct length for the 18-inch zipper, that whatever it is, that your hem turns up properly. It's not too pegged in. You don't have to worry about clipping or something like that. So she'll make that garment. If she gets stuck halfway through and something's not fitting, she'll go to the pattern maker and say, hey, Sua, this doesn't fit. Or she'll come to me or the head of pattern making, whoever, you know, and we'll figure it out. Now, the pattern tester will also come and say, you know, this construction, if we're doing something not so straightforward, is kind of weird when you're putting it on the machine. Wouldn't it be mm-hmm. better if we lined this sleeve? Because then it's just boom, 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 boom. But the, also then the pattern tested garment is what the designer approves. She doesn't approve that first floor fitting. She approves, so you, then you have a final fitting. And the designer comes back and she sees that you've made the changes she wanted. It's now got the dart, the princess seam in the right place, this, all of that. And then that's a final. So that garment then is, you know, the technical art that's on yeah. your pattern envelope and on your guide sheet. That's what's used for the technical art. It's also used for the writer to write the instructions. It's also used for the pattern grader to see what this garment's all about, along with the pattern pieces. Now that they're looking at them, they have a paper copy, but they're also looking at them now as a CAD file because that's how they grade. So that tested garment Mm. had a huge lifespan. And then while that's happening, somebody else now, you're going to have a photo, but you're just going to make photograph one dress from that pack. So your photo person, dressmaker, is making that one dress. But now she's lengthened it for the model because the models are never just five foot six like the pattern is supposed to be. And, you know, maybe we've, she's long-waisted and we added a half inch in her waist and her, her sleeve is 25 versus standard 22 and a half. So that's all tweaked. So that photo mm-hmm. garment is not really a good test because it's been tweaked. Yes, the ease still should be right in the, in the armhole. The basings should still fit the neckline. But that garment we sort of, you wink your eye at because it's just going to be for the picture. Yeah, you want it to look like the pattern. But the test garment was really where the meat and potatoes were for us. So that that was your reference point the whole way through. Yes, Mm -hmm. and it was for your quality control person at the end. Now she's reading instructions, and she's got a pattern, and she's got now the tissue layout of the pattern. So she's got all those nested sizes on a printed-out sheet. So she's got to make sure that's correct before it goes off to be printed. And so she's got the tested garment, and she'll sometimes have the photo garment. And this process was a little bit different maybe for craft or licensed garments. You know, we had outside designers do all those costumes, all the cosplay, and they would send in finished garments. So we wouldn't always test the whole thing, but if we had a part that we were concerned about, you know, you'd measure it up to the pattern and the garment, say, well, let's test this and see if it's still going together the same way Andrea meant when she sent us Spider-Man or Captain America or whoever he was. So, yeah, the big process. I miss it. I do miss that part. I miss my team. I miss my people. I still talk to them. Good. Everybody's all f***ed out. They're all home on quarantine. I have not sewn any garments. Just yesterday, I've been yes. sewing masks for yeah. a month. I've made probably almost 200 masks, which is great. It's good. We've been donating them. It makes me feel good. So have you talked anywhere recently, Deb? I was the keynote speaker last August for the annual American yep. Sewing Guild conference which was great. I told some of these stories and I had more stories and I saw people that I hadn't seen in years and that I knew from shows, from expo and all of that. 
I haven't done anything else, but I'm hoping that, you know, as things start to turn around, maybe I'll start to do more. Deb, thank you for sharing the breadth of your career at Simplicity. You know, it's been a real eye-opener to learn all the processes and time that it has taken to get out those patterns in that book that we find at Sewing Retailers. So thank you. Thank you for having me and inviting me. This has been a pleasure, a lot of good memories, a lot of lessons that I learned and lessons that I taught and experiences that I had that will never be replaced. So this is great to share it. And I hope the listeners really are excited about it and have a little bit of foundation on what those patterns were before they came out of a computer printer. And there's so much that you've given us already today. So I thank you for giving me the heads up on all the work that you've done with your teams in Simplicity over the years. Thanks, Deb. You're very welcome. This episode of Sew Organised Style Podcast was produced by me, Maria Harris, with permission of Deb, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Sew Organised Style Podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Libsyn, our podcast distributor. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast Instagram account or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.